the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 537 for Sunday, January 25th, 2015. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found, and your tales of woe. We share your tales of woe. We share our tales of woe. We share your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. The goal every time we get together is to learn more than one new thing about the Apple, Mac products, lines, technology, life in general. Sponsor for this episode is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Squarespace will give you 10% off of your first purchase with coupon code MGG. So you can build and host your website with them. We'll talk more about that later in the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairville, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And back here in Durham, New Hampshire is Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to have you, Pete. Yeah, it's good to be here on this lovely day where it's just like Miami without all that nasty heat and humidity. That's right. Yeah, nobody needs any of that. Yeah. Not here anyway. Um... John, on Wednesday, I think, I think, weather permitting, and who knows what the weather's going to bring us in New England, uh, but I think I'm going to be down in your neck of the woods-ish, speaking for the, hold on, I want to get their name right, uh, looking at it. Oh, you hooked the, up with those guys. Yeah, yeah. the ctmac.org uh, group at, uh, in, uh, I think in Farmington at the, at the Yukon campus is where the meeting is. So, uh, so that's Wednesday yeah. night, I think it's 6.30 when that starts so yeah i visited them a while ago i know yeah i know yeah and the uh i got ahead of the uh you know the pitchforks and the torches that's good that's good yeah i appreciate appreciate you paving the way because otherwise (laughs) could be a bad scene i get there so yeah you should come up if you're uh if the weather permits and you're around that'd be kind of wednesday you're doing this yeah oh the mess should be gone by then yeah they should yeah well they actually now we got yeah, so the snow we just got was wimpy, but now I see we have actually a blizzard warning. Which, right, uh, right. That, that, that's, that's serious. Yeah, they're saying it could snow for 24 to 36 hours. So. Just a nor'easter. Awesome. It's just a, just another nor'easter. Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about uh, managing your mobile life, and I've, I've kind of done some updates on that one. So it should be, should be fun talking about how to, how to access everything when you're not in your home environment and, and make it feel like home. So, uh, so we'll, we'll talk all about that. We'll have some fun together. So. Yeah, come on up. And in fact, we should look at again, just weather permitting. We should look at our schedules and uh, and figure all that out. So sweet. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying something new, Dave. What are you trying? Well, sadly, so, you know, we changed our workflow a bit. Right. Um, well, no, that's not the sad part, <laughs> but um uh, the sad part is that so, so actually uh, yeah so so we changed our workflow and and I needed to uh, add a uh, Twitter account to my uh, Twitter environment. Okay, and the client that I was using just freaked out, totally freaked out. Yoru Fukuru, say that carefully, which means night owl, I think in Japanese. But okay. I got to the page where you know it's supposed to go through the authorization for a new account, and it just got stuck in like an endless loop. It was like, whoa, that token's bad. Whoa, that's bad. And it just went round, 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 round. 
the author is kind of MIA or I, I couldn't get an answer. So I'm like, yeah, I'll try something new. So actually, uh, so yes, I actually spent some money on an app here. <laughs> So I'm actually, uh, so I actually decided to give a Twitterific. I think it's actually on sale now. It's a pretty, pretty nice client so far. The uh, the thing that I like, which the the one I didn't use um, did not have, or the one I was using did not have, is a tweet marker. Okay, it's like, dude, yeah. how did I live? How did I live without this? It's so cool. So there's both iOS and uh, you know OS 10 uh, clients and. Wherever you start or wherever you stop reading, it kind of places a virtual bookmark. And then if you pick it up on another machine, it starts you off there. So you can, uh, whereas before, you know, I kind of had to manually go through my feed to find out where I, I left off because I try to read every tweet. That's a, that, that, uh, I, I, um, that, that's impressive, my friend. I, I admire you for that. I don't. Yeah, it's a neat client. No, I, think no, I you, mean, you, I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't read, I don't read every tweet. I, I can't. Um, I read replies and I, I mean, I, you know, I'll read, if I go on Twitter, I'll read things from the last 20 minutes or whatever and, and, you know, catch up and join the conversation. And then that's that, but I don't try to go back and read everything, but that, I mean, it's what you do is great. I think that, I think it's admirable as I said, but it's nice. It facilitates now being able to do that better. Cause I think, uh, in the past, I sometimes, yeah, I just wouldn't know where I left off. So I, you know, did my best to, you know, go as far back as I could. Sure. Um, but that's my my choice for now. There, it, there, there's a few weird weird things that it doesn't do quite right. But uh, now your preference, though. Well, you advised me that you use a different one, and of course, you know, I never listened to you, right? Uh, at least to, to start. But um, I think your choice is is a different client for for the time being, Dave. Yeah. So on the Mac, I re- I've tried lots of them. I haven't tried all of them, but uh, I've uh, I uh, I just use Twitter's client, which started out as a Tweety and then they they hired Lauren uh, and acquired Tweety and, and made it the official Twitter client it works I, I actually really like the UI I mean it, it you know and that's the beauty of it is it's not for everybody and, and that's awesome but for the way I use Twitter and I have multiple accounts and I can easily see at a glance if there's notifications and I can customize those but you know I can see if there's replies to like the Mac Keycap account even if I'm looking at my my uh my Dave Hamilton account on Twitter. So yeah. So I, I like the official Twitter app there on iOS. I mostly use Tweetbot. Uh, I have not tried Tweetbot for the Mac. Uh, I suppose I should, maybe, maybe I would, maybe I would like that. But, um, but on iOS, I, I mostly use Tweetbot. I went through a period where I was using uh Twitter and, um, and I still like that. It, it, I like the way it shows uh, photos in line and I probably should go back to that now that more and more photos are coming um in tweet streams but uh but i you know i um tweetbot seems to work i like it it's good i think i think tweetbot it does tweetbot does its own syncing i think it uses icloud to uh to sync it's um you know where you are in the stream and what you've read and all that good stuff so yeah this will let you choose it'll say you know you want me to use tweet marker which i i Imagine has some sort of infrastructure you can tie into, or it says, or, or would you like to use iCloud for your synchronization? Sure. But yeah, it's, uh, and I also, what I, what I probably should have done is uh, actually add them. So, so I didn't have all of my uh, Twitter, because yeah, it, 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 uh, it doesn't do quite the right thing for replies and stuff like that. It did have growl tie-in. Okay. But it doesn't anymore for some reason. So uh, and I actually found, you know, they said, well, yeah, we're, we're kind of working on that. So uh, use the official Twitter, you know, mechanism built into the OS to handle that. 
Right. Which, of course, means you should go into Internet accounts, system preferences, Internet accounts. And, you know, I added uh, all of all of my uh, Twitters that I have access to there. Sure. Now I'll see replies, I guess, you know, notification center or on the on the screen on my uh, iOS devices. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. It's fun. Twitter's a good thing. Uh, you know, since we're talking about Twitter, we've, you're, I've already mentioned I'm Dave Hamilton. He's Pilot Pete. He's John F. Braun. Of course, the show is Mac Geek Gab. So if you want to follow us all on Twitter um, while you're trying out these new clients, that's that's where we're at. And Mac Observer, which is oh, yeah. the, one, the one that I added because we had a, you know, like I mentioned, a slight change in our workflow. So I needed access to that. And, right. Right. Yeah. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll uh, be careful. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's all right. That's good. Uh, yeah. So let's, um, you know, while we're, while we're on the social thing, we'll just get all of it out of the way. Uh, check out our, our new Facebook group, uh, MacGeekab.com slash Facebook or, or Facebook.com slash group slash MacGeekab, however you want to do it. Awesome group growing there. So we've got, I mean, we've, it's happening in both places, Google plus killer group growing there. Um, and, and then in Facebook, uh, it, I mean, the group's a week old and it's already got, a t- I mean, there's a ton of, uh, of traffic. In fact, you know, I posted something, John, I, uh, and I, I think, I think we're, we have a, a, a question. And so I'm going to, I'm going to loop right in here because um, it ties all in together. Uh, I posted that I'm having, and I've always had a problem with my Apple TV, John. Uh, it, it, uh, when I when I go to use it, it appears on the network. I can appear to choose it for AirPlay streaming if I want. If I go on the Apple TV just without doing AirPlay, I can see the YouTube app and I can see movies and all of that stuff, and it works great. However, uh, when I go to do anything, it you know the, the Apple TV responds. Even if I try to do AirPlay, it, it's obvious that there's a connection there. Something happens. The, the little uh, the screen goes black and the, and the little progress wheel in the middle starts to spin. Same thing happens if I go to play a movie. Uh, it'll you know start to play, but it'll say you got a buffer, but it'll take forever. It will never happen. Or if it does start, it starts and then it stops and fits. And if I simply go and reset it, which is you know just restart it, which I think you can access on the Apple TV and settings, general restart. Uh, it comes right back up and everything works fine. So a restart totally solves it. Uh, it had gotten to the point where, you know, I use a harmony remote, John. So I just added a restart. There is a remote control command for restart. It doesn't require any confirmation. You send the command and the unit restarts. Um, it doesn't exist on the Apple remote, of course, but, but there is a command that it will receive and the harmony remote knows it and, uh, or the harmony system knows it and the remote will send it. So I just added it as a, as a thing, turn on the Apple TV, turn on my, my TV, turn on my, my, you know, uh, audio amplifier, restart the Apple TV. And, uh, it would be an extra minute and a half or whatever, but it would work because all we were doing was it would get back. It would get up. We would navigate through the remote commands and we'd tell it to restart. So it was easy enough just to have it do it in an automated way. But I posted and, and we had listener John who wrote, um, he wrote in and, and was having similar problems um, saying that he couldn't keep his iPad connected over airplay to his Apple TV. It would start to work and it wouldn't. And, and so it, it's a gen three Apple TV is what we're talking about here. Uh, so the current generation of Apple TV 
And so I posted in our Facebook group about this, John, because it was driving me crazy. And I had a slew of responses. Some people posted that there is a it's it's an unpublished but official Apple recall on Apple TVs of that ilk. Now, mine doesn't fit the serial number list that was leaked out, you know, nine to five Mac or somebody found the list of serial numbers that, that the geniuses have. And mine doesn't fit into that range. Although some people, uh, again, on the, on that same Facebook thread mentioned, well, try anyway, you, you might get a replacement. Uh, Allison Sheridan over at, uh, at podfeet.com. She does the no cast. She, uh, she ran into this a couple of months ago and she and Steve called Apple care and they found a, uh, or they advised her of a solution. I'm actually going to look up the article so I can put it in the show notes. But um, what they said was you hold down the, get your Apple TV started up, get the regular Apple, you know, the remote that came with it. Uh, hold down the menu button on the remote and the down arrow for six seconds. Once you've held it for six seconds, nothing will happen until you release. When you release it reboots, but Apple told them this is a special type of reboot. It's not a normal reset and it will fix this problem. Now we know that a reset fixes the problem for me in the short term. So I've done this. I, it hasn't been long enough for me to say whether or not this will fix it long term. but, uh, but Allison and Steve, uh, from Nasilicast both said that this solved it for them long-term. So, uh, so we will, we will check it out. Yeah. And a note in the chat room says that, uh, the light will start flickering on the front of the Apple TV. Once you've hit that six second mark, oh. it'll let you know that, okay. you know, that it's going to reboot. When oh, release. Okay. So something, something does happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. Okay, cool. Um, thank you. BSD junkie. Yeah. At MacGeekup.com slash stream. So, so yeah, it's great stuff. I, I mean, obviously a, a relevant question, but but really shows the value of these Facebook and Google Plus groups is, is you've just got the hive mind happening for you all week long, 24 hours a day. I, I posted this uh, Friday night at about 1 a.m. By 2 a.m., I had everything except Allison and Steve's solution. They had, they had yet to post anything. But I mean, I had, there was probably, you know, 15 comments on there within an hour in the middle of the night. Yeah. So... Nothing else to do in the middle of the night. <laughs> I know. I, it, yeah. So, uh, of course, they could be on lunch break in Sydney. You know. Right. Right. That's right. But that's okay. That's that's kind of well, how it's now works. a small world. Yeah. It. Well, that's what it is. Is it? Yeah. It keeps the world small. So, good stuff. Uh, all right. So let's uh, now that I've, now that I've jumped us all over the agenda. Uh, why don't we go to uh, for the, the first one? We've got some follow ups from from recent shows that are worth going through here. Uh, we'll start with Harrison. Harrison said uh, in last week's show, we were talking about screen capture video uh, screen capture tools. And he said the one you missed was snag it uh, from TechSmith.com for 50 bucks. He says, I love it. I do a ton of screencasts and screen screenshots and easy annotations and editing. It's on my short list of must have apps for my Mac. So there you go. Thank you, Harrison. Good stuff. We will, uh, as usual, we will put that in the show notes too. Uh, have you ever tried that one, John snag it? No, no, huh? 
Yeah, I haven't. Nope. <laughs> there's a lot of them. There's like, you know, there's, there's yeah. Telestream and I mean, the, the Telestream is a different company we were talking about before, but the, all these, I feel like there's all these companies that begin with T with products that begin with S that do this screen casting screen flows. One of them, right. That falls into you that. You just category. have to go down your applications folder. I, so one, I, one app at a time. I know until you find it, but yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, there's too many. Yeah. I just can't, I can't keep them all in my head. That's at techsmith.com for forty nine ninety five. There you go. So yeah. it's a nickel off of, of yeah. the $50, yeah. uh, yeah, Harrison's trying to make an extra nickel. Oh, it's not. Harrison doesn't work there. He just recommended it. All right, sweet. Um, also, in uh, in show five thirty six, we were talking about that uh, uh, that MacBook that had uh, uh, liquid damage, and we suggested Apple flat rate repair because flat rate repair uh, I mentioned was about three hundred and fifty bucks, and there was this seven hundred and fifty dollar price that came in. Um, Several of you wrote in to to correct us and, and enlighten us on this. That actually was that seven hundred and fifty or whatever that price was was a flat rate repair price. Uh, Apple has tiers, Rick says, for flat rate repair pricing. Many of you do say this. Uh, liquid spills are the highest tier because of all the damage it can create. So that would be a tier four repair, which is almost as much as a new Mac. It varies by model. The three forty nine dollar flat rate would not apply if there's liquid damage. So that's actually really good to know. I didn't realize that uh, that there were different tiers of that, John. I've only ever used the first tier of flat rate repair. Oh, that makes sense because yeah, when I brought my uh, iPhone in, uh, it seems as a regular course of action when they take something in for repair. Yeah, I remember they had a little box uh, or, or something on the on the the work order, and and it said confirmed liquid. Uh, you know, liquid damage detector uh, was, was not on. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think every modern iOS and Mac, uh, or at least portable Mac, I think have that liquid damage uh, detector somewhere in there. Somewhere yeah. in the chain. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So does it void your warranty to open that up and replace that liquid? Uh. <laughs> uh, it depends on, you know, Pete, there's a phrase we like to share oh, here. At Mac yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I yeah. think that would apply. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> John Harrison, I be- and I believe it's the same Harrison, but I am. Uh, it doesn't matter. But uh, but I believe you had uh, an interaction with Harrison as well this week about a follow up from something we talked about in the previous show. Well, he interacted with us. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so Harrison said he, uh, that he's finally caught up on his Mac Geek Gag, Mac Geek Gab backlog. You to say, John. Yeah. <laughs> but he said we didn't indicate a use case. So I, I kind of threw this in towards the end of uh, uh, a recent episode. And I said, hey, you know, there's this cool RAM disk thing that I just uh, checked out here. And because I have a lot of RAM in my machine, I thought, well, what the heck? And uh you know, as far as a disk, this is going to be the fastest disk, even faster than an SSD, because the RAM in your computer is uh, is fast. Sure. Or should be. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Fair point. So he said, um, all right, so, so he said he has a RAM disk, and he's been using it for a while, and he just wanted to give us a heads up as to what the heck can you do with it. Uh, so he's a very active Plex user. Um and he has a, a dedicated machine, I guess a Mac Mini, uh, i7, 16 gigs RAM, uh, Samsung SSD to run Plex, and it's transcoding. So he's going through the configuration, when all of a sudden, he saw this one entry. Um, and what it is, it's the transcoder temporary directory. 
So I guess when it's doing its thing, it needs some space, uh, temporary space, uh, throwaway space that it can do this sort of thing. And then all of a sudden he put two and two together and said, hey, why don't I enter a RAM disk as this entry in the Plex settings? And that's the use case. Brilliant. Hey, it's great. Yeah. I'm going to do um, it. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing it, huh? There you go. Because I guess some programs still, um, you know, give the user the ability to uh, to do this sort of thing. Actually, the only other thing that I'm aware of, and I don't know if it would make sense to do it, you know, may want to try it, If but if you are a user of uh, Photoshop, um, they actually have some suggestions on how to optimize performance. And one is, oh, yeah, we have the scratch space as well. Yeah. Um, now, what they say, it, it's interesting. What they say is that, you know, we'll use the scratch space when there's not enough memory. Um, so in theory, most programs, if they need to do something quickly, they should use RAM. But sometimes they don't. Or I guess don't do it properly. So, you know, if you if you have extra RAM, set up a RAM disk and uh, use it for temporary scratch space. And uh, you may see a big boost in uh, in performance. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think about that from a... At, from a programming standpoint, John, if you're doing something like a video transcode, where essentially what you have to do is read from one file and then save to another and 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 then let that the, the resulting file be the one that streams. Obviously, the big issue is doing that on the same disk, right? Because if you're reading from reading gobs of data from from one disk and then writing gobs of data back to that disk after the CPU does some operation on it, that uh, can be a very <clears throat> pardon me. That can be a very slow process, right? Because the disk can't, you know, really. I mean, it's it, it's not optimized to read and write simultaneously like that. So writing somewhere else, anywhere else would be a good thing. A RAM disk is is obviously uh, very fast. But I'm thinking from a programming standpoint, would you just want to save all that in RAM? Probably not with a big video transcode like that. Right. I mean, you, you kind of want to um, for a lot of reasons. One is just data integrity. But the other is whatever engine you're using to then stream the resulting data out may be more built to read from a file descriptor as opposed to RAM, right? So, uh, but, but a piece of software could create its own RAM disk. I mean, that there's nothing wrong with that from a, you know, if, if that's your, if that's the, the problem you're trying to solve. Sure. Yeah. That's interesting. It's fun stuff. I, I love doing it. It's a great, great use case. I love it. Uh, oh, you know, John, a couple of shows ago, I think it was 535. We were talking about, uh, Drive Pulse, which is the the monitoring engine that's built into Drive Genius um, and Drive Genius 4's Drive Pulse includes the ability to monitor login items. And we were talking about whether or not uh, the uh, the the engine monitored the actual login items that you have in system preferences, which is a P list versus uh, which is controlled with a P list versus the. Um, the 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 login the the startup demons and startup items and and launch demons and all that stuff which are individual p lists that are dumped into a folder. In fact, Drive Pulse monitors all of that. Um, and I I actually noticed it about two hours after we finished the show and, and forgot to put it on our list. But uh, Bob Doctor Maclevitis wrote in and reminded us. Yes, in fact, it does. So thanks, Bob, for the for the reminder and the heads up. 
That's good stuff. It is nice to know when that changes sort of one thing I've noticed that's weird is I have a couple of network volumes, uh, law, uh, 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 mount when I launch when I boot my Mac and drive pulse comes up and tells me the the volume has been removed from my login items and then added to my login items every single time. And I have no idea where that comes from. Obviously I've never seen that before because I've never had something obsessively monitoring that. <laughs> do you, you don't do any, uh, um, do you do network volume mounting? I mean, is it something wonky about, remember this week I just migrated to the, the retina iMac, which is friggin' awesome. I mean, it's like really awesome, but, but, so I don't know if it's part of the migration assistant that did that because I didn't notice it before. And I had it on this one, which is now the 20, the 27 I used to have now lives up here in the studio. So we have gobs of horsepower. Yay. Finally. So that's good. Good to go for another 10 years. Um, oh, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed if I run the, um, Drobo dashboard, it, it, it alerts me that some P list has changed. Okay. Or keeps changing. It said, well, I deleted it and then I rewrote this. Um, the one weird thing that I find about the dialogue, Dave, it's kind of disconcerting and kind of confusing to me is when this dialogue does come up saying, hey, a plist file changes. There are two options. One is ignore and the other is show and finder. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, the, the ignore to me is kind of misleading. It's like, well, I'm not really ignoring the fact that this happened. I'm more acknowledging it. First time I saw that, I was just like, what exactly am I saying here? <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know. Just seemed to be a weird choice for, for uh, to, to acknowledge that you've seen this happen. Right, right. I think right. is what you're doing when you say, but to me, ignore doesn't embrace what you're really doing. You're, you're again, you're not ignoring the fact that it happened. You, you, yeah. Okay. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. Thanks for the heads up. Yo, that's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. All right. And then finally, and I, there's one bit of this last one uh, from Don, this little heads up uh, that I did not test, but Don says back in uh, show 536, you recommended to someone that they use the connects Thunderbolt uh, to USB connector to hook up a USB based SSD boot drive. The manufacturer specifically states that this connector cannot be used for a USB boot drive. So if your listener doesn't read this specification, he's going to have a big problem. Uh, I know that because uh, I installed an SSD on my 2011 iMac, similar to what you were talking about. I did all the research first with a little help from you guys. So thank you, Don. Yeah. And, and I tested this. I tested that part of it. You're absolutely right. It just doesn't show up as a boot disk. Um, the same drive will show up as a boot disk when plugged in natively to USB uh, on the on the Mac or uh, or, of course, if the same drive is plugged in, you can boot over Thunderbolt because I have it. I have the a Lassie rugged. Uh, it's actually a 500 gig SSD external. It's awesome. And I use it when I travel. I have half of it as a clone of my MacBook Air's boot drive. And then the other half is just storage. So uh, so that way, if I have a problem while I'm traveling, I have a clone of my of my boot drive. And it's awesome because it's got a built in uh, Thunderbolt cable that that never comes off and it's got a USB three connector on it. So I was able to test all of this with one drive and in, in and I plug the drive in directly, either Thunderbolt or USB, which on the, on my, on my 2011 air is USB two. Uh, it would show up in the boot list and, and boot just fine. But if I connected it, USB three to the connects Thunderbolt connector, that would not work. So the question that I did not answer before this show, but I will is, is that a limitation of all Thunderbolt docks 
or is it just a limitation of the connects Thunderbolt dock? And that connects one is a, is kind of a unique thing. Cause it's just a little dongle. It's bus powered, which may be part of the issue here, but actually probably not. No, um, it's bus powered. It's got, uh, I think it's 79 bucks and it's got a USB three and gigabit ethernet connectors right on it, which is killer for someone like, just like me with a 2011 air. Um, but it will not boot over that USB three port on it. But I, I, again, I don't know if that's a limitation with just the connect connects doc, or if it's a limitation with others. So I'm going to, I'm going to test that. And I apologize for not doing that before the show, but um, so there you go. It's uh it's an interesting, interesting little thing, John. Yeah. Uh, you, you have, have you messed with Thunderbolt yet? No, no. I have a Thunderbolt port, right? On my uh, on my refurb here, but no, I don't have anything to plug into it as of yet. Okay, so okay. I have to work on that. Should probably get a video adapter so I can hook my big screen TV up to it. Uh yeah. So you need, uh, you probably need one again. One of these Thunderbolt docks, I like the the that has HDMI in it, like the um. I think the, I can't remember. I know the new uh, other world computing one does. That's a, that's actually a Thunderbolt two dock, but of course that works on your, your Thunderbolt one machine. Um, but I can't remember uh, if there's anything else that uh, I know there's one other, I think the Elgato, I want to say it's either the Elgato or the Belkin. It might be the Belkin John that does that. I can't remember, but yeah, that could be a good thing for you. Good stuff, right? Thunderbolt's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Who makes the, does yeah. Apple makes one, I think. Don't they? Apple makes one. What? Oh, a Thunderbolt. To, oh, Thunderbolt just, to HDMI. just to, a Thunderbolt to HDMI. That's right. Yes, right. They, they do. Yeah, they do. They totally do. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fun stuff. Uh, all right. Well, what else do we have? You know what I want to do, John? I want to talk about our uh, first sponsor for this show, which is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. And uh, Squarespace, these folks figured it out. They know that lots of us, for lots of different reasons at, at different times, want to be able to put a presence on the web. Right. You want to you've got maybe maybe you want to start a blog. Right? Maybe you have some stuff you want to say and you just want to have a, a place where you can get that out. Maybe you have something you want to sell. Maybe you're, you make, uh, you know, arts and crafts or, or, or any kinds of thing. Right. You, maybe you knit sweaters and you just want to sell those and you want an easy way to get that online. So you do something else and you want to have your presence on the Web and you want to do it easily without a headache and quickly. And also without breaking the bank. Well, that's what Squarespace is here for. They have gone and done all. They've gone through all the trouble for you. They figured out how to host a website. They've figured out how to design a website. They've figured out how to customize that design of a website. And they figured out how to do it for less than 10 bucks a month. And that's what they sell to you for less than 10 bucks a month. In fact, it, it plans start at just eight bucks a month. Um, and it's, it's so easy. You don't need extra software. 
you really don't even need any skills other than knowing what it is you like to see on the web. Visit squarespace.com. Go to squarespace.com slash MGG because that's one of the ways that uh, that you'll let them know that that we sent you there. But really what they do is uh, they go through and you just start and you pick a template. They've got all these templates right there. And uh, it's it's fantastic what they do is they have, um, you know, you pick you say, I want to have a storefront. I want to have a blog. I want to have something. And then. Uh, you pick a template from the the group that is built just for that. And they've got their own pictures in there, but you can put your own in. They've got their own designs. You can put your own in. Uh, and it's built for mobile. It's built for desktop. They do such a fantastic job with this stuff. They've got uh, a partnership with Getty Images. So if you want to have something specific in there, but you don't want to go take that picture or create it or anything, just They've got it that you, you pull from their library. It automatically fits into your thing. Uh, it works great. The best part is you just go and start designing. Visit squarespace.com slash MGG and start designing when you're ready. Uh, that's you, you get a two week free trial right out of the gate. And then when you're ready to buy, remember coupon code MGG because that'll get you 10% off. So, yeah, eight bucks a month is their starting price. You get 10% off of that. And, uh, and they really do a fantastic job with everything. I mean, they take months for each of these templates. They, they make them all responsive. So you don't wind up with weird URLs. If somebody's visiting on an iPhone, everybody gets the same URL. It's all normal. I host my Dave, the nerd.com, uh, blog there and it's super easy. I used to host it on my own. I know how to do this, right? I I've done this before uh, once or twice, but in terms of just making it work, it's simple. And if I want to change the design, I change the design, all my content, migrates in it's super easy so check it out squarespace.com slash mgg and then remember coupon code mgg to get 10 percent off on your first purchase um and we really appreciate it to, uh, if you use that coupon code because a you get 10 percent off and we like that for you and b it again it's another way that they uh that they know that we sent you there so thanks again squarespace for sponsoring the show all right is it time to go to dave I think it's time to go to Dave, right, John? It's time. It's time. You know, I, I, I have things laid out. I have a bigger screen here and I'm having a harder time finding things because they're not exactly where I, uh, where I left them on the, uh, on the 20 inch, but uh, that's not a complaint. Your, your muscle memory is uh, trying to, Hey guys, it's Sorry. Dave, uh, quick follow-up comment in regards to episode 534. Um, about 45 minutes in a guy wrote in about, uh, fonts in regards to passwords and being able to distinguish between a lower L, uppercase L, etc. Um, he was doing it in a plain text file, but um, I'm actually using LastPass, and I kind of have a similar issue. So, I mean, I work around it, but it kind of drives me nuts. So, one of my passwords has a lowercase L and also an uppercase I. And for whatever reason, the font that the LastPass app on iOS uses, they look identical. You can't, you can't see a noticeable difference between those so i mean most of the time you can just fill it with safari or on your computer it fills but i've had a few case uses where say i'm at a friend's house and i need to log into one of my uh, websites or whatever using his computer it's too much of a pain to go install the LastPass extension and all that nonsense so i just pull up the password on my phone look at it but for the life of me i can't tell between the lowercase l and the uppercase i so i end up having to do it 15 times with all the variations until I figure out which one's what. So 
Um, I think that's kind of what that user was getting at. I kind of have the same thing. Just curious uh, what you guys think of that. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. Um, I think that LastPass is using the wrong font to display this information to you because uh, that sounds like a bad thing. You use LastPass, John. Is there any way to change the display font in there? I'm going to take this in a different direction, Dave, is that if you run the LastPass client um, on iOS and you want to get the password uh, you know, to another app, yeah, but I mean, he's, he wants on, to when, read the password and type it into his friend's computer. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. that, that's the pro- yeah. If you just want to copy and paste, right. that's easy. But because that's one of the menu choices. Yeah. So if you click on any of the sites, you can say copy password right. or show password. But right. I see what you're saying. Right. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the whole fun uh, issue becomes the problem. I mean, and a, I use, and a workaround for that would be something like Disconnect or something like that. Right. Yeah, but I use but, one password, and they very specifically use the courier font um, that that delineates all of that stuff and highlights. They they um they highlight numbers mm-hmm. in a different color than letters. In uh, in one password, if I'm if I'm not yeah. mistaken, I know I've never had a problem what telling L and I, I the wonder. difference. Yeah, I know. Now I now I got to look. <laughs> and uh, Dave and, and I are see. madly opening one password. Yeah, and the qu- yeah. So in one password, numbers are the color blue and letters are black. So it makes it really easy to tell the difference. And they're all it's a mono spaced font. It's bold. It's easy to see. So it sounds like LastPass just needs to update their UI. Or if I might be so bold, maybe, you know, migrate, you should migrate to an app that already has better font. Uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, I've just never, uh, never run into that issue. Right, right. It, 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 to be fair, it's a it's a uh, I mean, it's interesting that we've had several listeners now write in with with this use case. I I don't know how many times I've had to read a password to type it. Mm. Right. I mean, I but. You know, we we manage our lives a little bit differently. Everybody manages yeah, their sure. lives differently. It's interesting. The L and the uppercase I are the uppercase I is slightly bolder, but I'm not sure you could tell. Yeah. If you, you know, know right I, next to each other, you can tell the difference. I wonder but, if. Um, but it things, may be a different font. Yeah. yeah I wonder if if like iCloud password uh, and. Or iCloud keychain, sorry. And I know we got too much stuff Crash. over here for you, Pete. <laughs> Pete's crashing into everything today. We got a lot of stuff piled up where he normally is. Um, but I, I wonder if, if like, if if programs have been written not to use either of those characters in their auto-generated passwords. Yeah, uh, I mean, it would be smart not to because it because of that potential confusion. Obviously, yeah. if you're doing it on your own, then you could put in whatever you want, but. Um, but that would be yet another thing. But again, we're, we're talking about this from a, a programming standpoint. So um, I don't I don't know what the right answer is. If you if you can't read it, you can't read it. And that I mean, that's a that's a known quantity right there. I know what you could do, Dave. Go. It's new. Well, I don't know if this will help this case, but uh, sure. You probably got this in your box. But uh, LastPass uh, recently released a uh, Mac uh, client mm-hmm. native client. I did see that. So run have you that. Launched it. Have you have you played with it yet, John? Uh, not quite yet. Okay, I, I kind of figured you would be right all over that. Well, what they're uh, I'll have to do a comparison because I mean the the thing is now 
uh, the uh, plugin, you know, does everything I need. The uh, or the uh, Safari and uh, Firefox extension, sure, do everything I need. But uh, oh, right, okay, got it. Yeah, they wanted us to tell you about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that would solve this particular problem. No, but it is a good thing to know about. I like to see that. In fact, that's fantastic. All right, uh, you want to take us to Jesse? Yeah, this was a fun one. And by fun, I mean, (laughs) Uh, this came out of left field. So uh, Jesse writes in and says, hang hang on one second. I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you on Jesse just so that we can. Pete pointed something out to me real quick here about um, about one password just to tie this up. I I got in there and uh, one of the things you can create your password recipe and uh, there's a checkbox in there, which is avoid ambiguous characters. So if you go into your, I don't know about uh, LastPass, but with 1Password, you have the ability to set your recipe not to do an uppercase I and a lowercase L right next to each other, that sort of thing. So That's really um, smart. Yeah. So yeah. it's there. You can uncheck that if you want and make make your life harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you can. Because you can. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Sorry, John. Yeah, you bet. Sorry, Okay, guys. take us to the top of Jesse, if you would, please. So... Jesse Ronin, uh, gave us the overview of his system. I don't think it's really important, but it's uh, the, the, the details. But he's got an iMac, uh, a Drobo 5N, and an Apple Airport Extreme. Well, I think that's actually part of the problem. <laughs> so he's been experiencing a bizarre issue with his Drobo that he's hoping you could, we can diagnose. Um, he moved and purchased, oh, here we go, a new Airport Extreme for his new apartment. Upon setting everything up uh, and attempting to connect my Drobo over a wired connection, nothing showed up in Drobo dashboard. My Drobo is on a static IP and it would give me the chance to log in via AFP or SMB. But connecting to a share would basically crash my finder and eventually lock up my computer. At no point during the finder crash was my connection to the internet lost. I attempted this two more times to ensure it wasn't a freak accident. The problem persisted until I tried connecting via wireless. Then for some reason, everything worked fine and everything showed up in Drobo dashboard and accessing of data was business as usual. I've run through all the possible steps I can think of. Power cycling devices, purchasing new Ethernet cable, uh, contacting Apple support uh, that found my router was defective and replaced it. But the problem still persisted and even tried to talk to Drobo support. Nothing seems to work and everyone is stumped. Here are the crash logs I sent to you. And he sent the crash logs. And so I looked through the crash logs, Dave. And sure enough, there were many AFP related messages where it was timing out. It was saying, hey, I'm trying to connect to this thing. And basically it it never responded. So it gave up. That's not good. I don't know if I should even go over the suggestions I had because they were wrong. (laughs) Oh, maybe I'll go over briefly. Uh, Maybe you have some commentary here. So uh, one thing that I saw in the logs was IPv6. I have heard of people having issues if IPv6 isn't set up properly on all of your devices. So that's one thing you could do. On on the computer, it's in network advanced configure IP6 and there are settings there. And also in airport utility, if you go to internet, internet options configure, configure IPv6. Uh, there are also, you know, various options there. Um, I would say in general, you want them all to be at the same setting on all your devices. 
Uh, but that wasn't it. The other thing, and this is where, where I, I thought the problem would be, is that you want to make sure in network uh, that you set the service order. What's that, John? Well, I'll tell you what that is. If you go to system preferences and then you click on network, on the left, you're going to see a list of all the interfaces that are available uh, to connect to things. Ethernet, Wi-Fi, maybe Bluetooth, Firewire, whatever. You're going to see them there, and they're going to be in a certain order. But you know what, Dave? That order is lying. <laughs> well, not lying, but one one would reasonably assume, oh, the order that I see them in is the priority in which... Uh, the computer will will address them. Well, that's not the case. You sure? How do you force this? Um, pretty sure, because I've seen where they differ. But whatever's at the top is the one that has the main connection. Um, I don't think that's always the case. Sometimes it can get out of sync. That's been my experience. Really? Oh, because I've seen it. Like, if I go, I, I know where you're going with this, right? With, with the gear menu and set service order, and I've seen it where if Correct. I if I have both Ethernet and Wi-Fi connected, and I change the service order, it actually reorganizes the list that's um, that's in the network screen. I, I thought that was supposed to show you. Now it may, of course, you know, we're talking about Yosemite here, so anything's possible, right? The, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, what I've seen is that that that's not always the case. So just to make sure that okay. the interfaces are being used. Um, yeah, as you said, so there's a, a little gear, or I think it's called the action menu. And if you click on that, you're going to see an option set service order dot, dot, dot. And then it's going to give you a list of all your interfaces. And that is going to show you what order they are, um, what order they're addressed in. And you should have the one that you're using most at right. the top of that list and you can just drag them drag them around um so i was thinking that may have been the case because he was mentioning that he's using different interfaces and it sounds like he may have them both on at the same time so i thought oh that's a reasonable assumption well that wasn't it either okay <laughs> now you're right though um, i mean it, it it's good to if you're going to be doing advanced stuff and having two interfaces going is advanced even though it happens all the time without people even realizing it uh it's good to know what what you've got as a priority and how that management is going to happen so yeah yeah now personally now i threw in a little bit of wisdom here personally dave i like to have only one interface active so what i'll do is i'll create a location and set all the others to inactive so there is no chance of using another interface uh without my knowledge um, I, I but that's feel, just me. No, I, you know, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I feel the same way. I, I, I mean, I've mentioned that I used to manually set my interfaces so that Wi-Fi and Ethernet were actually the same IP address. And then I did what you in the last show told us not to do. And that worked great for years. And it would still work today had I not gone into the console and just looked at things. And I saw this slew of errors just streaming in there saying uh, this IP is in use, but I'm going to use it anyway. And it's like, yeah, because you're using it. And um, so I don't do that anymore. Um, but and, and I really don't have computers that migrate between Ethernet and Wi-Fi anymore. If I have to use Wi-Fi in the office, it's because I'm having an Ethernet problem. Or mm-hmm. or sometimes, like if I'm programming a new router, uh, I'll use Wi-Fi to connect to the router, the, the one router, and then, and then Ethernet, you know, to connect to the Internet. And that can actually be really handy because you can be talking to something that's not connected to the Internet over a different IP range and, and yet still have access to the Internet with, with Ethernet. So, yeah, you can. But to your point, to 
stop us down this rat hole. Yes, it uh, it's probably best to only use one interface at a time. Certainly simpler. Right. So. So what did it turn out? So I gave him all the suggestions. Yeah. You know what it turned out to be? It turned out to be. I still blame the the uh, the airport <laughs> partially. Now here's what happened. Um, then he said, you know. I remember, so this is totally out of left field, and I haven't even thought of asking about this because it didn't occur to me. Sure. Um, then he said, I fixed my problem. I remember way, way back, you guys, and by you guys, I think he meant me, suggesting that you can change, if, if you're on a gigabit Ethernet network, there's something known as jumbo packets. Yeah, that would be uh, cool. which is also the M, which is also the MTU, and I think that's maximum transmission unit. Transmissible, I think, but but transmissible. Just, I think that I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is something no, that you transmission. Can set. You had it right. You had it right. Yeah. Right. So this is something you can set. So you can either set it automatically, and the computer will try to make the best choice, or if you think you know better, like me. <laughs> You can set it manually. Um, some people believe that uh, setting it manually, especially on a gig, certain networks can handle a larger MTU. Now, why would you want to make an MTU larger? Traditionally, an MTU for Ethernet is about 1,500 octets. Can I say octet and sound all old school? Is <laughs> around 1,500. So at a low level, what this is, is the amount of information that's sent in a single network packet and then the other side confirms it and checks you know checks that it's correct and all that stuff and then the other side sends more but you know 1500 i mean that's kind of tiny what if you could make that bigger in theory uh and i proved it to myself though i think the it it it, you you get a marginal increase in a performance here i'm going to refer you to the uh, wikipedia article on confirmation bias there and, and we'll just let that go well, the, the way it's supposed to work, but, but Dave, I mean, it, it's like if I gave you a hundred bucks in nickels or in quarters, I could give it to you quicker in quarters, right? Yes, that's correct. That's, we're that's my, about that, 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 uh, so the thing is, if you set the MTU larger and, and here's the caveat, and this is where, where, what happened here and all the devices on that network have the MTU set to the larger value, then Things will move along faster, right? Theoretically. It, Here's it, the problem. Logically, it sounds correct. Theoretically, I'm not sure. I haven't done the research there, but logically, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've done the research and uh, I've, I've seen it uh, squeak out a little bit more performance. It's probably not worth messing with, but I like messing with things. Right. Of course. No, I, I get it. Right. Here's, the, here's the problem, though, is that if any device on the network is not set to this larger value, then you're going to get what's known as fragmentation. Now, the thing is, some devices don't handle this situation very well. What should happen is if one device, and the problem really comes in is, say one device is sending a larger packet and then the other device is expecting a smaller one, what it should say is, whoa, 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 I I can't handle all that. Can, Can you break this up into smaller pieces that I can understand? That's what's supposed to happen. The thing is, that may not always happen properly. And actually, in some of my testing, Dave, I remember this actually happened when I was fiddling with my uh, my old, uh, you know, boat anchor G5 machine. I actually had a situation where if it wasn't set right, if it was set, 
if it was receiving something that it didn't expect, it would actually throw a kernel panic. You know, oh, poorly nice. written driver. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super handy. But what could also happen is that you may not connect to things. And that's exactly what was happening in his case here. The reason, and now that he says it, now it kind of makes sense because he said, hey, as soon as I switched it over to wireless, everything was great. No surprise. So yeah. what happened, yeah. so, so what he did then is I think he finally, um, I think this is, uh, so what he said he did, and I think this will fix the problem, is that he does have it set to 9,000 on one device, and I think, yeah, I, th- I think what happened is that the, 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 the Mac, for some reason, had reverted to automatic. So what happened is that it was doing 1,500, and the other devices were doing 9,000. Once he set the one device, I think the computer, back to 9,000, then everybody was happy. Huh. So that's the problem with doing that stuff. You you do it and it works great and you forget about it. And Yeah, you reinstall OS X, yeah. right? You, you do some sort of network reset on any one device and now everything falls apart. Yeah, you're like, oh. Yeah, so, I, right. I, I bet you're right. I mean, certainly, like I said, logically, it makes sense that there's got to be at least the potential for a performance gain going to, to jumbo packets. But I don't see there's certainly not enough performance gain for what most of us are doing to to warrant doing that and then and then creating this scenario that you're totally going to forget about. I'm hoping that this big, long discussion we've just had uh, kind of cements this in all of our heads that any of us that are doing this or or if you're helping troubleshoot a friend's network, you th- at least think to check that as one of the first things when you're getting this network wonkiness. So well, so what was his initial it, it, just to wrap this up, John, uh, the solution was. Get your MTUs in sync, either all nine thousand or all fifteen hundred. What was the the you know the the ten word description of his problem so that we can all kind of cement this into our heads that way? What was the symptom he was seeing? Well, he wasn't able to connect to his uh, NAS, but he saw it. He He saw it. He just couldn't connect to it. Right? I mean, it would appear on the network, but he couldn't get an active connection going. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Right. And the logs would 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 back that up. The the logs were saying, you know, connection timeout or, or yeah, something. But not saying those why. lines. Yeah. If they'd only said a hey, packet mismatch or something like that. Right. Would have helped. It, yeah, would have might might have said, Hey, well, wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The moral of the story, don't touch a nothing. <laughs> well, but then, but then where's the fun in that? I know. I get, no, I'm not saying it's fun. I'm just <laughs> it's, it's true. Morals, Morals of stories are never fun. Are never fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. You know, so I'm wondering there, if... <laughs> Morals are never fun. There you go. Sounds there's like a, a show theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm wondering if maybe buried somewhere, the, the device that was having an issue may have been logging or... or I don't know if there are any logs on that Drobo. Maybe they were saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting packets that, that, that aren't right, man. What's what's going on here? But the computer wasn't reporting it. So. All right. So I guess the advice here is don't touch your MTU unless you're me. <laughs> <laughs> the moral to the story is never fun. I think that's the title of the show. There we are. All right. Uh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Uh, Helma. Right. She says, I hear you talk about microphones often, so I hope you can provide me with a suggestion for my problem. 
At work, we regularly have Skype sessions where some of the team members are in a room and some are on Skype. For the people on Skype, it's very hard to understand the people in the room when they are not sitting in front of the laptop that has the Skype session open. Surely this is obvious since the audio setup on both Macs and Windows computers are designed for communication between persons sitting in front of their computer. But it's a pain to have someone repeat everything that has been said or have everything, everyone huddle around the laptop. So I wondered if you could give me a suggestion for a modestly priced microphone that I can plug into a Mac or Windows machine, preferably USB, that can be set up in a central location on a table so that it can pick up the voices of everyone sitting at the table. It'd be nice if this could double as a simple improvement over the internal mic when we decide to start making screencasts, but it makes means no hard requirement. Okay, so uh, this isn't entirely a simple answer. Um, Microphone choice has as much to do with what you're trying to record as or capture in this case, because you're not actually recording what you're trying to capture in addition to the environment in which you are trying to capture it. And the room you're in, any room, sucks It typically because you don't and, – and this is true of this podcast, right? And, and we actually had a pre-show sort of discussion and troubleshooting uh, going through some of this stuff too. You don't want to hear the sound of my room being pumped into and then added to whatever it sounds like when all of this signal is sent into your room. Now, if you're listening on headphones, maybe maybe that's not bad, but maybe it is. But uh, – but, you know, certainly if you're listening in, in your home or your car, that's got its own bounciness and, and uh, environment sound. And you don't want to hear that. So that's why we get right up on our microphones when we talk, you know, if and I and, and, and I'm set up so that the gain's not quite right for me to do this. But if I get back over here, you know, you can still hear me, but you also hear me bouncing around in my room. If I did that for the whole show, you might actually hate that. Yeah, I'd listen about four or five seconds and go, well, <laughs> done this week. <laughs> all, all set. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what you are trying to accomplish is getting the voices loud. And what I did, uh, you know, is I got closer to the microphone. So you get far more of my voice. My voice is still bouncing around in the room exactly the same as it was when I was over there. The difference is. My voice is much louder to the microphone here because I'm much closer to it. And that's the problem you're trying to solve. You're trying to get the voices louder into the Skype microphone than their echoes uh, that happen in the room, the reverberations that happen in the room. That's not, you know, the easiest way to do that is what I just did. Get closer to the microphone. It's what you've been doing. Get closer to the microphone. Now, are some microphones better at this than others? Yes. The microphones in laptops typically are on the keyboard, right, on the bottom tray, aiming up. Sometimes they're on the top bezel. Oftentimes there. They're also aiming up. Uh, that is bad because, you know, where's the sound coming from? You're speaking, you know, horizontally at it, and the microphones are aimed vertical. So they're going to get more of the, the reflection off the ceiling. Uh, you could get a microphone like the Blue Yeti, uh, it's a USB mic. It it sits up on a uh, on a pedestal, and it's actually got three elements in it. And you can set it in single direction, omnidirection, um, bidirectional, and 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 set different patterns. Uh, you can experiment with what works for you. But all of the elements on that microphone are aimed horizontally. 
So that could help. It also means you could get the mic closer to the people that are speaking. Maybe, maybe what it does is it makes sense to put it between you and have it in um, uh, the bi-directional mode, which is they call interview mode. Um, it tends to reject off axis sound a little bit better, but this is not a, um, this is not an easy problem to solve. If you just want to have a microphone in the fixed location uh, in the, in the room and just talk. Um, but the Yeti would probably be the right thing to, to get as close as you're going to get without, without breaking the bank on this. Skype also tries to do some of this off at uh, some echo cancellation and things like that. And, and it actually does a, a fantastic job. If you turn that off, you'd hear how bad it really is. Um, I think an easier solution though, is to get a microphone that is handheld that you could pass around inside the room. Um, it is, you know, that, and if you get it, uh, you know, with a long enough USB cable, then you can just pass the mic around to the people that are talking, and that might work a lot better. Along those lines, um, Audio Technica makes a couple of great microphones. The one I recommend uh, these days is the AT2005 USB. Uh, it's sort of the newer, I'm not going to call it little brother, it's different shaped brother than the ATR2100 USB, which uh, was a very popular microphone and still is a very popular microphone uh, out there. The, 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 the 2005 USB is $10 cheaper at 50 bucks. This is a cheap microphone, inexpensive microphone. I actually just bought one this week so that I could have a microphone, a handheld microphone in my travel case. Um, and so for 50 bucks, you get the microphone, which is a handheld mic. I like the 2005 cause it's got a flat grill. Whereas the, the 2100 has a rounded grill, which is a little weird to speak into. Um, but it's got the flat grill, 50 bucks, you get the microphone, a little uh, tripod-ish desk stand, a clip for the microphone, and two cables. You get a USB cable for the mic and a an XLR. These microphones, both of these that I've, I mentioned, the 2100 and the, the 2005, uh, have two connectors on it. So you can connect it to a normal mixer with XLR or the, uh, USB to your Mac. I tried it here in the studio over XLR. Uh, it sound, actually sounds fantastic. I would have no trouble using this thing on stage and I've tried it connected to my Mac and it sounds great there too. Uh, it's a dynamic mic, which means it's going to pick up less of the room sounds than a condenser mic, which is active. Uh, so that, that this could, this could be the magic for you is having one of these to, to pass around. One additional benefit that I will point out is this microphone that both of these I, I'm 90% sure on the 2100, but I definitely sure on the 2005 will be is powerable by your iOS devices. So you can plug it directly in by way of the USB camera connection kit uh, to your iPhone and record directly on your iPhone with a high quality mic. And that's why I wanted to have it. So I, I have an easy portable microphone that I could plug in. Now, unfortunately Skype on iOS doesn't currently let you use the microphone that's plugged in to the camera connection kit. Every other app does Skype doesn't I've reported this to them and they're actually looking, taking a look at it this week to see if, if that's an easy fix. Cause that would be a great thing to have. So that, that might be your solution. Um, if you want something that's got multiple elements in, in different directions so that you're not getting bouncy, I highly recommend the Yeti. Uh, it's it, I've used that mic quite a bit. I normally do not like condenser mics for, uh, for this type of purpose. But the Yeti does really well. It's got a gain control on it, which really helps kind of 
temper a lot that a lot of that stuff. Don't get the Yeti Pro. That's a whole different beast and probably going to drive you crazy. Uh, its gain is too hot and it's got a weird uh, sound pattern on it. But the the, the regular Yeti is great. But uh, at 150 bucks for the Yeti and 50 bucks for the AT2005, I'd start here and see if you can pass the mic around. So, and the Yeti is not bus powerable by the by the iPhone. It, it it needs more power because it's partially because it's a condenser mic and needs all that power. So, uh, I wonder if uh, Kiwi Graham also said something in the chat room, which was kind of off handed, but I yeah. think may maybe work. Which was just try the iPhone using Skype. It's got sound. Uh, what you call it? Uh, noise canceling and all that, or is that directional? Well, it 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 might work better. You know what? The the microphone in the eye. That's a great suggestion kiwi graham um because the the microphone in the iphone is built to do a lot of this echo and noise rejection because it's a phone we all forget that it's actually built to do that and it does it pretty well so yeah actually that that's an interesting thing you may already have the equipment already have it that's right Yeah. yeah that's right yeah all right uh, let's see. Any thoughts on that one, John? I, I mean, I know you're not as much of an audio geek as, uh, as I am, but I know you spent, you spent time in the, 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 the ham radio and or not ham radio, but the, the CB realm realm. So I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts on a, on a on microphone setup or placement for picking up, you know, groups of people. Hmm. Not really. What did I use for bass? I used the D one Oh four. Look like a lollipop. It's a nice mic. I think mobile use, I had an amplified mic, which we'd all fiddle with to try to get more uh, more oomph out of. There were some tricks you could do to those. Yeah. My buddy Bob was always helped me out with that stuff there. And actually, it was funny because, you know, I talked to him, Dave, on my computer. Speaking of the built-in mic, it was actually neat. The other day, I was, I was kind of, you know, I was working on the computer, and all of a sudden, it starts beeping at me. And it's like, phone call from Bob. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. <laughs> Handoff or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I actually d- took the phone call on the Mac and actually he, he said, uh, you know, it didn't sound horrible. It actually sounded, you know, uh, halfway decent using the, uh, you know, built in mic and the, the microphone and the, uh, so I could hear him. Yeah. It's actually awesome. a well done feature. All right. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we'll do, we've got two, I think we've got, time for these two about monitors that are left so let's uh let's let jp take us into that realm hey john and dave it's jp in la quick question i'm gonna pick on jp for a second here because it factors into the last conversation you can hear that jp is not right next to his microphone it's fine we're gonna let it go and and please when you send in audio comments don't worry about it we'll deal with it on this end we we try to do some eq and 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 make it work we would just like your audio comments in but just as an example i'm gonna pick on jp for a second here and 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 you can hear the difference and you can hear the bounciness of his room so anyway, take it away, JP. We will now, now that I've pointed this out and laser focused everyone on it, we're going to ignore it. Hey, John and Dave, it's JP in LA. <clears throat> Quick question. I have a, uh, I have two 27 inch uh, Thunderbolt displays on my desktop here connected to my Mac Pro. Whenever I'm watching a video on Vimeo or YouTube, uh, I click the full screen button in the uh, video player and I get the full screen of the video playing on one screen. However, the other screen 
uh, goes to black and nothing appears on it. Uh, is there any way to tell Safari or this computer to, hey, leave that second monitor alone, let it show what it shows, and only full screen on the one monitor? That'd be genius if I could watch full screen on one monitor and still see my desktop on the other. Is that possible? Can't believe I've never even asked this. Please cut me off. You have been cut off. And you probably heard his sound got a little bit better. I I just swept the EQ a little bit. Magic. Well, the find where, you know, the, typically that bounciness of a room happens in a certain range. And so I just sweep the EQ a little bit to find that bounciness and dump it. And uh, that thins out his voice a little bit, makes it less bouncy. So, you know, there you go. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I I think... I think we've got an answer for you, JP. Maybe um, the uh, I think the answer is go into system preferences, go into uh, mission control in system preferences and check the box that says displays have separate spaces. This will require changing that setting, either turning it on or turning it off uh, will require a logout or a reboot to take effect. But I think this will do this. I, I say I think I I have one setup where I uh, where I have two monitors. And because it requires a, a logout, I, uh, it's a pain in the neck to test anything like this. But I seem to remember that that was a function of it. I don't prefer this, not because of your scenario. That would actually be quite handy, but because it also then kind of you get the weird moving menu bar and dock and apps sort of act differently and you can't easily drag things between spaces and in ways that that it it's a it's a it's a hack honestly people wanted apple wanted to solve this problem but they didn't want to have developers have to rewrite all their apps and so i think the only way to do it was to kind of adopt the spaces mentality and have it have you know spaces or di- things on on uh, on different displays. So uh, I got to try it again. Maybe maybe it's gotten better. But uh, but I think regardless, JP, I think that's going to solve your problem. So do you do the dual monitor thing, John? No, only got one monitor. It can be a fun thing. I um well, on this machine. Well, now you know. Actually, I have done uh, a little bit because now um. You know, the portable supports many WizBank features, including, uh, I think we call it air display mirroring. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. So I, I've done that on occasion, you know, extended what I have. Uh, I think I can do dual monitor to the, because, uh, yeah, through the Apple TV, I can uh, Yo, total. mirror my content. Yeah. Totally, totally. All right, let's see. Uh, Let's see how we do with this. Hopefully that works for you, JP. So Chris writes in, says, I have a 2011 Mac mini, the one with the 2.5 gigahertz i5 and a discrete graphics card, which is listed as the Radeon 6630M. I have been using it happily with a Dell 23 inch monitor, but recently added a second monitor. And that's where the trouble began. I purchased an inexpensive Philips 23 inch and connected it via a third party mini display port to DVI adapter. Right away, I noticed my mouse lagging and had problems with the machine rebooting. I changed the adapter to an Apple one, which fixed the mouse lag. However, the reboots continue. 
The machine is fine when I'm using it. However, about a half an hour after I walk away from it, the Philips monitor suddenly will display a white screen with a message, which I have not been quick enough to catch. Then the machine reboots into an unusable state. Background is black, menu bar and dock are missing, and constant series of fatal errors from my apps. The only solution is to pull power, and then it restarts normally, except the desktop backgrounds are messed up. I checked in the logs, and he sees uh, things that say GPU reset, GPU restart, report start, and things like that. I wondered if the half hour before the reboot was significant. I discovered that my display sleep setting is 30 minutes, which is about how long it lasts before a crash. I can't for some reason turn display sleep to never, but I did turn computer sleep on and set the display sleep to the same value. And that seems to avoid the problem. I'm wondering if it's an incompatibility between the firmware on the monitor and the Mac. Maybe when the Mac tries to put the display to sleep, something in the monitor firmware crashes my GPU. My question is, do you think buying a different monitor might fix the problem? Should I try a different DB, DVI cable first? So this is a weird one, John. I, 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 have, I have an initial theory on this, but I'm not convinced that I'm right. It's just a theory. Um, anytime. Let me back up a little bit. Apple has a really, really bad history with GPUs in their Macs, uh, especially the quote unquote lower end GPUs. Okay, so whatever the lower end GPU is, that's the one that's going to fail. Um, not guaranteed to fail, but if 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 it's going to fail, that's the one. I, I don't know what it is, but graphics cards and Macs uh, just are, aren't reliable. So it's for that reason, and add that into the the fact that well, that the machine that now sits in front of me here in the studio just had just went through its whole graphics card issue, and that's the first thing I jump to is okay. Well, it is a Mac. And it's a Mac mini. So, yeah, it's got the discrete card, but, eh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that that's where it is. So it's worth doing the Apple hardware diagnostics, which is done, uh, I believe, just holding down D or is it command D? I always forget. I always hold down command D and that works. But um, but, you know, it's worth running Apple hardware diagnostics, which you should have right on your Mac uh, to, to test this out. And. Even if not, you know, as as we've mentioned, the Genius Bar will do these diagnoses for free, so it's worth bringing it into them. If uh, if only to rule it out, they'll they'll diagnose the graphics card and and all that. But the fact that it's happened, so the fact that it's happening when it's supposed to go to sleep could mean that it's the graphics card, and and it it's there's some the way the OS is 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 doing things. It's asking some additional. Uh, capability or, or something from the graphics card as it's going to put it to sleep. And then that's what's causing the issue, but it could just be an incompatibility uh, between the two. The way to test that would be to add a different monitor to the mix and see, uh, or maybe even swap the two. I think you said they've, they're connected in two different ways. So swap the two and, uh, and see if the problem happens or, or just run the Philips monitor so you're not running two monitors and see if the problem happens with just the Philips monitor. Because it doesn't happen with just one monitor when you go to put it to sleep. It does happen with two. So if you take the Dell monitor out of the equation, again, this is just kind of, you know, as we like to say, honoring the troubleshooting process. But, uh, yeah, check it all out. And and I'm hoping, I'm actually hoping it's the monitor and not your GPU but uh, but bear in mind that it very well could be. So uh, that that's my thoughts on this, John. I uh, I don't know, but I don't but I don't know. It's hard to say, right? That's the whole deal. What do you think? 
It is. Um, I don't know if I have much to add here, except, yeah. Um, you know, I did actually have, as a uh, recently, a graphics-related problem. I'd never seen this dialogue before. It happened on on my 2012 MacBook Pro here. It was very strange. I'd never seen this error message before, Dave. But then this has, you know, different graphic hardware before. This has, you know, both the, you know, high and low performance graphics. But I got a dialogue the other day. So the machine had like totally wedged, like no control whatsoever. And then when it restarted, so, you know, I held down the power button, which uh, as you should all know, but if you don't, that's the one way to, that's like the, Hail Mary of uh, if your machine is crashed and uh, right. and you can't do anything, hold down the power button. And, and that's almost any computer. You hold down the power button for like five seconds and it shuts down. Now, you, you want to avoid that because, you know, there may be disk corruption or all sorts of things. But this was the only thing I could do. And when I rebooted the machine, Dave, I got a dialogue from the OS saying a graphics problem has been detected. Mm. And uh, click report to submit the report. You know, the two options there, ignore a report. But I actually was able to find, so, so it actually logged this in, the, uh, in, in one of the uh, crash reports on the console. And it actually had a similar message. It was, it was like, a, you know, GPU uh, reset or GPU drive. I think it may have been the graphics driver just had a big, big problem. I've never seen it again. So it's not like oh. a, you know, it, it, it's not a recurring issue. Again, I think it was just, uh, but I'm with you. Apple, uh, you know, actually, thank goodness, because actually, you know, my last, my 2008 machine, actually, uh, I got an entire motherboard replacement because I, I think they filed it under a defective GPU thing with uh, NVIDIA. I guess they, they had a lot of back and forth with them at, at times. And so they actually diagnosed it as well. Yeah, your problem, even though the problem manifested itself as the USB bus kept uh, kept restarting and that was in the console, but they actually said, nah, it's really the GPU. We'll give you a new motherboard. It's like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, on some machines, it's, you know, baked right in. And, and so, yeah, you got to go the whole logic board route. I did just buy a Apple Care for this machine, for the, not this machine, for the Retina iMac. Um, I figure it's the first of its ilk. I should... Uh, I should be covered as long as I can. And, and Apple care is cheap on IMAX. It's like, well, I think Apple's price is 169 bucks. I paid one, one fifteen or something from LA computer company. Yeah. It's so. amazing. You can get shop around for Apple care. It's great. Yeah. LA computer seems to be, it, it, no one beats their price uh, except eBay. And really? yeah, but it's questionable. It, it, sometimes I've had people register correctly with an eBay, purchased apple care and then like a month later apple comes back and says actually we processed your thing and then you're no good oh that's not good yeah but la computer i've never had a problem with can you buy apple care plus from them or is that only from apple no. i've never tried uh apple care plus is only for an iphone oh i believe and ipads oh yeah yeah yeah. Know, but, uh, yeah 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 okay yeah but it's cheap on imax you know it's like 300 and something bucks for a um uh, for a, a laptop worth every penny one fix and you've got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true, but I don't see why it's cheaper for an iMac because the parts aren't any less expensive and the shipping's more. <laughs> so, exactly. <you> know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But anyway, I'll take it for, for I mean, for 110 bucks or whatever, 115, yeah. whatever I paid for it from LA computer. It was like, uh, yeah, done. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, yeah, I know that was a bit I gotta of a get that too. Oh yeah. 
Actually, that's funny because um, so you, you can get it within a year at least. Uh, yeah, yes. The, that's interesting here. So I see. So the list price for Mac laptops, fifteen inches and above, is three fifty. Yeah, but you can but, get it for like two forty two, right? From uh, LA Computer, man. Well, I just found it on. Well, actually, I I, I have it bookmarked here in uh, Amazon. It's two forty four from uh, Amazon. Yeah. See, there you go. Is it is that free shipping from Amazon? And fr- <laughs> yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's probably cheaper than LA Computer. Uh, but if you tell LA Computer about that, they will meet. They will match that price. Yeah. Well, for you know two bucks, it's like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Haggling. Right, right. Yeah, I should get it. I think for a portable, no question, you should always get Apple Care. For for other, you know, I di- I didn't get it for my uh, Mini, and I I don't regret it. I didn't get it. And I never for, had a problem with the mini. I didn't get it for this iMac, the, the the my original 2011 iMac, and I wished that I had because in the end it all worked out fine. But um, and I would have been out of the Apple Care warranty period uh, when I had the, all these issues with the you know the graphics card or whatever. So it probably wouldn't have mattered. But um, the the Ethernet port on the motherboard had gone out in a weird way and it would only do hundred megabit. It wouldn't do gigabit anymore. And that happened maybe 18 months in and it was like, well, I'm not buying a new motherboard just to fix the ethernet. That's when I got a Thunderbolt dock or whatever. So I definitely would have, um, I, I wish that I, I had on my, on my, this, on this one, which is why I bought it on the new one. So it's fun. It's crazy, right? That's how we roll. That's how I think anyway. Ah, oh, yeah. we're not going to get to we'll get well, to this next time. Yeah, we're done. All right. Uh, we talked about all the social media ways of contacting us, which is fantastic. Uh, but if you want to email us, feedback at MacGeekab.com is the way to do that. You guys always bicker about this. Let me set the record straight one time here, now, and finally. It's feedback at MacKeekCab.com. You know, I'm glad you're here, Pete, because, uh, you know, it, we need someone to set Dave straight. And, and it is feedback at MacKeekCab.com. It is. It is. Well, you're, I'm glad you two are past that. You're for right. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, it only took almost 10 years. Yeah. That's right. 206-666-GEEK is the phone number to call. And Geek John is? 4335. Indeed. I want to thank Michael Johnston for uh, taking the time every week to convert this show from uh, from its unchapterized form into its chapterized form. Michael you rock. Thank you. Uh, also, he, he's the. Uh, he, you should check out his podcast. He does a great show called The iOS Show, which I think appeals to probably, you know, 80% of the folks that listen here. So go check that out. Michael's a great host. I also want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C A C H E F L Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. They rock, too. Uh, the podcast marketplace includes, as I mentioned, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Uh, Barebones software, barebones.com. Gazelle at gazelle.com to sell all your stuff. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash MGG. Gets you a 10-day free trial there. Drobo, uh, MGG50 gets you 50 bucks off a Gen 3 Drobo. And, of course, Smile. 
at smilesoftware.com, makers of great stuff. I actually have an anecdote to share about it's PDF Pen Scan Plus that we'll talk about. Maybe in a cool stuff found show. In fact, John, I'm thinking it's almost time for one. The queue is getting Ooh. big. I know. I know. And your wallet will be getting thinner. Yeah, well, that's how it works, doesn't it? All right. Uh, John, do you have any uh, any final thoughts for us today? I think Pete should tell us what he thinks. Well, hmm. if if I were you guys, as, as we go out there this week and before the show next week, whatever you do, don't get caught. Thank you.